Well, we are back with another episode of Men Creating Change. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, today we have two uh, special guests, uh, one you've heard before and one you haven't. Um, and Aaron is not able to join us today, but um, we do have a special guest, Quinn. Quinn, do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, so hi, everybody. My name is Quinn. Um, I'm a graduate student here at SJSU. Uh, my major is sociology. Uh, and my pronoun is teachers. All right. So hi, everybody. My name is Jenny. I am the educational programmer for the Gender Equity Center. My pronouns are she, her, hers. Um, yeah. Glad to be here. Awesome. Um, and uh, we are recording a special episode today to talk a little bit about um, uh, sexual assault for Sexual Assault Awareness Month, um, and also uh, tying in um, our understanding of uh, Asian American Pacific Islander identities as well as part of a PETA month. So we're going to talk about all those different things. Um, okay, so um, I want to start us off with a background story. So um, in January 2015, uh, Brock Turner, who is a student at Stanford University, um, he sexually assaulted a woman behind a dumpster at a college frat party. Um, the woman's name is Chanel Miller. Um, she was very devastated because during the during the trial, that um, the boy father is actually defending his son by saying that no, my boy is not going to be penalized for anything that he had done in just 20 minutes and he's kind of blaming um, the woman for what she's been doing. So I think it's kind of related to the topic that we talk about today, which is um, the masculinity and family um, in Asian American culture and how it's kind of playing to part into like sexual self victimization. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, I think when we talk about masculinity and femininity in Asian American culture, um, it's, it's a real, um, there are a lot of nuances that we need to start picking apart. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of the time when we have talked about toxic masculinity, um, it has been in kind of a broad, broad sense, right? And we talk about men and masculinity and kind of the way we get socialized as men. But when we start talking about Asian American masculinity and femininity, then we have to start diving a little deeper into like racialized culturalization and particularly um, as we understand ourselves in a United States context. Yeah, because I think that like part of it is, is like how do we uh, socializing into like the expectation of like masculinity and family since like we are very young and then we kind of grew up with it and accepting it so it's kind of hard for us to talk about hey what is healthy masculinity what is healthy uh femininity yeah okay so for me um because i was born and raised in vietnam which is like in southeast asia so like my parents they kind of like socialize me into this ideal like the ideal female where like you have to do you have to know how to cook you have to do chores you have to you know do and everything to ac accommodate like the men in the house and also that like we were taught 
to be kind of like the man make the decision decision in the house so we rarely speak up about like our experience about anything right so i can I can agree to that in some aspects. Um, well, one, I am Vietnamese American, um, but I, I was raised here in America. So in that part, it's a little different um, culturally. Um, but in similar aspects, what Quinn was saying is like, for me, growing up with, um, you know, immigrant parents who experienced trauma from the war and whatnot, like, I thought that that was one of the main reasons why, like, our father or my father was so violent in the ways that he was, whether it was how he spoke or physically or mentally, verbally, things like that, um, because of trauma that was um, was never, that he never really got any help for. Um, but part of that was also just the way that he was raised in itself um, after growing up and actually having conversations about how um, his youth was and how, how um, his parents raised him. Um, you know, my father, he was what Quinn was saying, raised to feel like he, what he said goes that men have hold more power, um, in relationships. And that's how he, um, and my mother had their relationship. It was very, um, it was very patriarchal in that sense. And so, um, some of that right is like when you're as you're growing up you start to question is that how much of that is normalized because of how you grew up versus what um came, what came out of our culture cultural impact um yeah so it's really interesting so like for f my family back in vietnam we are kind of like less patriarchal but i can still see that like Hey, my father is the one who makes all the dishes in the house. And my mom is kind of like, even if she don't agree with it, she still like goes along with it very well. And I also see that like, my mom, she, she kind of like teach me that like, uh, to not express any of your emotion. So like the same thing with my parent, like they never express any, like any of the feeling in front of their like, children so whenever like they have any argument or any like you know um they will tell us to go to another room and then they will kind of like solve it on their own so my childhood was always like that i never experienced any kind of argument in front of me so how about you chris yeah similarly for me um you know and, and i'm a chinese american um my parents um, immigrated from Taiwan. Um, and similarly with me, you know, my dad was always considered the head of the household. And what was funny was I always noticed growing up that my mom is like, I don't know how to describe it exactly. Like, I don't want to say she's the smarter one of the two, but she definitely like is better with like finances and she's definitely better with like investments. Like she was an accountant and she was a finance major in college. Um, and she, you know, um, like definitely had a traditional gender role of running the household. Um, but she always deferred to my dad, um, which I always thought was kind of weird because I, growing up, never really trusted my dad with, like, decision-making. 
And it was interesting seeing the dynamic in our household in which she would always like defer to my dad, you know. So like, uh, Chris, how are you growing up like being taught about like masculinity in, in particular? Yeah. Um, so, uh, I will, I will say one of the, one of the first things I want to emphasize, at least with my upbringing is that a lot of this stuff we learned secondhand, thirdhand, or we learned like through like demonstration and not necessarily an explicit lesson. So like a lot of what I learned from my parents was not because somebody explicitly told me anything, um, except a few rare occasions. Um, but a lot of it was just like what I learned or picked up from my parents. Um, and of course, like when I was testing boundaries and stuff, when I would get into trouble. Um, so for me, um, masculinity in an Asian household really like, it was, it was really about like, as a man, you have to be in control and you have to be decisive um, and you have to be competent. Um, I think um, for me, you know, my dad would always emphasize that, you know, um, that I had to know what I was doing and I had to be correct in what I did and my decisions. Um, and of course, you know, there's no emotions involved and you don't show emotion and you don't cry and you don't show weakness. Um, and I think, uh, for my dad, um, I think with a lot of Asian American cultures as well, the emphasis was placed on academic success. So for him, it was, you know, get good grades, do well in school, get a good job, make a lot of money. Um, and you know, for him, like the lessons that he passed down to me about masculinity in that sense was to be a man, you have to take care of your family and you have to do well academically and you have to do what, be successful in your job and that kind of stuff. So how do you think about all of those like ideas? Um, that's a good question. I think, you know, a lot of them. Like the construct of masculinity, you know, I think I've learned later in my life that um, it's all it's all socially constructed, right? So, um, like, if you are in a two person household, there's no um, reason why one particular person needs to do, you know, all all of these one tasks, and this other person needs to do all these other tasks, right? And then it particularly gets magnified when there are genders involved, right? So if you're in a traditional two gendered household, um, there's no reason why men have to do this and women have to do that. Um, but a lot of that I think came later in my life when when I had a chance to be more critical about it. Um, I think growing up there was a sense of like this is just how it was, you know. And I think a lot of it is reinforced, not just through my parents and through my family, but also friends and pop culture and that kind of stuff, too. So I remember growing up and in high school and, you know, that uh, a lot of a lot of, you know, for, formidable years, um, you know, me and my friends just kind of bought into it. Like, that's just what we knew, you know, and like. You know, I know we were certainly critical from an Asian American perspective. We were certainly critical about some of the restrictions um, parents placed on their kids, especially um, on daughters. But we also kind of bought into like, you know, men pay for dates and men ask women out and men, you know, have to be tough guys and men have to like not cry and that kind of stuff. 
Yeah, and then when you don't do that, it's kind of like the outside of the main box, and then people start to questioning you. So I think it is kind of like the same to me too. Um, my parents, they kind of like don't explicitly talk about it, but they kind of like do that by action. And I also feel like the idea of femininity enforced to like school where like, so back to when I was school in Vietnam, we have a lot of like camp and party. So like we kind of like bought a lot of food and like we, we as the girls have to prepare everything for it. And if you don't know how to do it, you like they kind of like frown upon you to not how to do like cooking and stuff. And also like at school, we were socializing to be dressing neat, um, talk soft and not to be violent. Um, so how about you, Jenny? What is your experience here? Yeah, I think I... Uh, sorry. Um, so for me personally, um, I, I do agree with a lot of what y'all are saying. Um, just kind of like I said, with my personal upbringing, um, and why I want to make it a little bit more personal is just because it is also not like the same narrative for all people and especially all Asian people. But um, in my pers- in my household, um, like I said, it was very patriarchal. And so I grew up seeing these uh, or being taught these ideals around what the roles look like for men versus what they look like for women. And like Chris was saying, when it, it comes to being raised in a two-gender household, um, there were strict gender roles um, for men and women. And it was very traditional. Like my father did a lot of the handiwork and my mother would do a lot of the softer work and how like the caretaking. And so those also, right, they're, they're taught to you as a young person to kind of like frame how you expect to be treated um, as a woman versus how you should also treat men um, with some of the messaging that I got. So when he spoke poorly to her and she took it, it was just kind of this normalization around um, women are just being told what they are told to do and they just listen. And so this whole notion of particularly Asian women being docile, being um, very soft and um, submissive, right? There was a lot of that messaging, um, not only just in my household in particular, but like Chris had mentioned, a lot of that happening in pop culture where there were any Asian characters. Um, Asian women in particular were highly sexualized, um, objectified and kind of viewed as like this exotic or like it um like a like when we think about like the terms like the china doll or the geishas like these ideas around like what asian women um are viewed as um so it's it's right when you're as we get older and we're, we have these opportunities to think a little bit more critically we start to realize what kind of impact it really had on us as we start to frame our own identities and how we navigate um, ourselves and relationships that we have yeah so i think that the ideas of like the chinese though that you talk about is kind of like subjectifying us and also like it's kind of like make us vulnerable to any kind of like gender-based violence especially like um sexual assault um so given the dominant construction of asian american masculinity and femininity 
Um, so how does sexualization or hypersexualization come into play, um, especially with the prevalence of um, toxic masculinity? I think, um, you know, as far as sexual assault goes, um, you know, one of the things that traditional masculine, traditional feminine roles in Asian American culture uh, kind of leads to is that it, it frames gendered relationships as a power dynamic. And when men are told you have to have control of a relationship and women are told you have to be submissive in a relationship, um, in that dynamic, there is an inherent power inequity. And when there's that power inequity, then that's, I think, leads to, um, very easily leads to like abusive relationships. It leads to sexual assault, domestic violence. Like all of those things are, are, are uh, a result of like power being abused in a relationship. So, so like it's just just um, my own observation of like how my friends are in the relationship. So like some of them saying that like a lot of time like my men asking them for consent um before like um sexual intercourse, but they just like go along with a yes because they think that like hey the man want, wants it so why not just give it to them because they want to like accommodate the men. But like, if they were asked to like make their own decision, they will definitely don't want to say yes. Mm-hmm. Well, I kind of right, kind of building off of what Chris was saying on like this this role that power has in, the, in power dynamics in relationships, in particular to um, Apita folks. Um, where was I trying to go with that? Um, it it feeds into this idea that even, right, like even when no one's looking, we have internalized some of this messaging so that there's this idea that we, ex- we right, what you're saying, Quinn, is that there's this expectation of like, um, well, the men are in power, so whatever they say goes. Um, or that women, as women, we should be, we are expected to be submissive, and so we shouldn't be very vocal. And so, right, sometimes what happens is that when we internalize these messages, um, it impacts the decision-making, that our own decision-making. And therefore, sometimes when people view it, it's kind of like, well, in that moment, why didn't they say no? Why didn't they speak up? Well, it becomes this, this, this really difficult gray area of like, well, it's very difficult to speak up when we've been socialized to not be very vocal, to not have a voice and to be very submissive. Um, And that's from my personal viewpoint as a cis woman. Um, And so it plays into that dynamic. And so when we hear a lot of that victim blaming, we need to really um, delve a little bit deeper into why it is that folks have a hard time really we're seeing like or hearing um verbal consent um yeah yeah i think um sometimes it is hard for like us asian american women too because because like when you think think back about it and you like you claim that hey i'm a i'm a victim of sexual assault and then like men will, will come in and say that hey why don't you um like say stop when you don't want it, stuff like that. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I also, I also think, you know, one of the things about Asian masculinity, too, that needs to be thought about is that in Asian American, well, in American United States culture, like, you know, Asian American masculinity is juxtaposed against white American, black American, Latino American, Chicano American, um, like masculinity. And when we start thinking about race and masculinity, you know, there's a lot of both hypersexualization and desexualization that happens with various identities, right? And so when we're talking about a United States context, just in a real simple kind of broad summary, black males and Latino males are considered hypersexualized, white males are considered quote unquote normal sexual, um, and then Asian males are considered desexualized, right? Um, and you know, that's, that's a real broad sweeping generalization. I don't want to say that that's like necessarily a case by case thing. Um, but that, that's certainly kind of the stereotype that we see in pop culture and a lot of, in a lot of different places. Um, and when it comes for Asian, when it comes to Asian American men, uh, uh, kind of reconciling their masculinity in this context, um, you know, I think in in very like toxic ways we do assert our dominance in ways that we know or ways that we're familiar with without really understanding the critical like nature behind it um and i think that can also lead to an increase in like sexual assault or sexual crime um from an asian american masculine perspective yeah i think that given the fact that like um asian american masculinity against like um Hispanic or African American, I think that like when we have um toxic uh, masculinity, it's kind of giving like Asian American men a sense of like, hey, I'm in, I am in control, and hey, I'm, I'm, I'm actually like my masculinity is actually equate to like white masculinity or Hispanic masculinity. So um, why does why do why does our society allow like toxic masculinity to happen or actually excuse it when when it does happen? So is there any reason that you guys can think of? That's a good question. Um, one, there there's a huge issue around rape culture and and the messaging that we get around it. Um, there's a lot of lack of sex education that that gives us a little bit more understanding of what consent can look like in a relationship. Um, typically, what we learn, if not from our friends or from social media, um, pop culture, don't often do a good job of exemplifying what it looks like in the moment to ask for consent and how that is a continued process. It's not a one-time ask. Um, and then in particular, particular, I think, with Asian American uh, PETA culture, um, and this is just generally um, not to speak for a specific group, but there's also that notion of that model minority. It kind of erases or silences that experience of sexual violence um, because oftentimes we we don't see you know, right, like stories or highlights from Asian folks um, when it comes to sexual violence. And so um, that's just something to really, to really think about. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, based off of what you said, Jenny, you know, like it, it's true. I think, you know, in, 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 in our society, you know, today, it is a very patriarchal society um, and the patriarchy of the society, part of what like keeps patriarchy in power is that it gives power to men. Right. And ultimately says that a male is of more value than a female. Right. And so when you talk about like Brock Turner, um, you know, in, in the Brock Turner case, you know, the fact that, you know, as a defense, you know, his father or anybody in the news would say, well, you know, we can't punish Brock Turner because he has such a great future ahead of him as a swimmer, or as a scholar, or as a whatever, um, you know, never mind, you know, the crime he committed or whatever damage he might have done to another individual. Like, I think that's patriarchy in action. Yeah, and also um, give enough of what Jenny just said, um, in Asian American community, we feel that like sexual assault is actually like the problem of our family only. So there is no need to you know report that. And also, it's the issue of like it's dishonor the family because like a lot of like cultural belief about like gender role and like a lot of like Asian American family um, also believe that hey if there is something happened to a woman then it is actually like her fault and also like in the Asian American community um, many families don't talk about like sex ed at all so it's kind of like playing the part too like for my my family um, we don't talk about it at all I have to you know find out the information about it like actually from books and online and like not until recently that I felt like, hey, I'm an adult now. So like I should have this conversation with my mom and dad, not like just asking them that like, hey, why don't you t- teach us about like sex ed when we were like in middle school or high school? So they saying that the school already do it for us and we trust the school. And like plus I also bought you a lot of books to read about it. So like this is the evidence of how like um, sex is actually like a taboo topic in Asian American culture. I I agree with that. Like it it is a very much taboo topic. Um, nothing. I definitely didn't get any conversation around that. And when I did, it was not even close. <laughs> you know, it's just like, is that person your friend? And you're like yes, they're my friend, you know, but that person was actually my boyfriend, you know, like that's how they frame the question and then they leave it as that. So there's definitely, at least in my personal experience, never having that kind of conversation. But I think also another piece of that, right, is also if we're not having that educational piece or we're not having conversations, sometimes folks don't really know what their experience is really violent. They may might know that what is happening may not be right, or I didn't I didn't like what happened, but not really truly understanding that like what happened was really wrong, or that there are healthier ways to approach um, sexual conversations. Um, yeah, so I think that when we don't recognize that some of the ways that we interact with people may not be healthy, then we'll never know until we have that conversation or we have that education. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah I, I I definitely agree. I know that from my perspective, um, 
that I also did not have any conversations with my parents about sex or sex ed or about, you know, appropriate ways to, to conduct yourself. Um, and I think my parents were kind of relying on, you know, like Quinn, you said, like the school system to kind of do it, you know, but they also like, they didn't, they didn't go to public school in the United States. Right. So they didn't, they don't really know what's being taught in public schools either. Um, and they certainly never asked me about what I learned, you know, in, in school. So I think a lot of that was just kind of wishful thinking that like, was like, well, we just don't want to talk about it, you know? Um, and then, you know, based off of what you said, Jenny, you know, it's like when we don't, when we don't talk about sex or, or sexual behavior in any sort of explicit context at home or with our family or whatever, like you have no choice but to learn from your friends or from pop culture or from whatever. And, you know, a lot of that information is just wrong. You know, it's, it's skewed and it's like distorted. And like, just as an example, you know, I know a lot of people like, you know, read Twilight and thought that that was romance or read Fifty Shades of Grey and thought that was romance. And the relationships in those stories are not, you know, they're very toxic. Right. So kind of to build off a little bit as as a former health educator that taught sex ed in the classroom, I it was so interesting because, well, one, as as a child to immigrant parents, I think there's this idea that like with immigrant parents is like, I'll just trust the system or there's this idea that like the U.S. system is so great that America is is full of, right, that American dream of like America is full of opportunity. There's public school system. Our children are being taught and like we'll just put our all of our, right, um, kind of like put all of this expectation that the U.S. will do a really good job. And so and that's how my mom views a lot of it, right? She she thinks that the education system here is great. She thinks that like, you know, oh, don't worry, like that would never happen in the U.S., you know, things like that. And so she 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 has this idea. And so she, she never really did ask me about what I'm learning in class. Um, and so like as a health educator, I did a parent health, uh, parent child communication um, class with Vietnamese parents. And I was surprised at how many parents, Vietnamese parents showed up because typically sex talk is very taboo. So I was in a, it was in a room with like 10 other Vietnamese adults who were asking me questions about like, how do I talk to my child about like masturbation? And it was so wild to me that like, it's not that they don't, right want to have these conversations they also don't know how and there's also that that cultural piece of like that that generation that like didn't get as you as like immigrant folks like not getting it um when they were young so not knowing how to navigate that conversation and so actually they want it but like how often do we offer those opportunities where it's like very specific to Vietnamese communities where we can speak our own language where we can really talk about this topic in in a safe place um, so it's not like they don't want to learn. It's also just like, where's the opportunity to do that? Yeah, I think um, the same thing goes with, with my mom. That's like a little bit background about me. So I went to America to study since like high school. So I've been here for a while. And then when I actually had the conversation about sex with my mom recently, and she kind of surprised, she said that, hey, I thought that like you, ha- you went to high school in America. I thought that they do a good job with that. But actually, no, because 
the school that I went to is like a Catholic school, so they kind of like omitting teaching about like sex education. So, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that was kind of the point I wanted to make about that was that like our parents like didn't ask us what we talked about in class when we went through sex ed. So like they had no idea if it was good or not, you know. Yeah. And like some of us has to learn it like in a very hard way when they like when we actually become the victim. So yeah, it's very sad. Um so um how can we um disrupt toxic masculinity and also how can we you know raise awareness about like sexual assault in like Asian community? I I think it's just really education um, and dialogue, right? Like if if we have more opportunities to provide education on these topics, we get to think a little bit more critically about them and the educational piece um, and the opportunity to really dialogue, um, but also really take into to consideration the cultural context, right? So as like what as like when I was teaching sex ed, like it was so important, right? Because consent education can happen at any age. Like we can literally teach our young people at like two, three, at four, like you should ask your friend if they want to hug. And if they say no, then that's okay, right? It's so simple. Like that could be the first lesson of consent. Um, also just like culturally, like having some autonomy over our bodies, you know, as like in Asian culture, like having to like greet all your aunties and uncles, but also come over to that one uncle that you don't want to like vibe with and they hug you and it feels a little creepy, you know, and like that should be an option then, right? To teach our young people that like you have the autonomy to as long as you're being respectful and you like bow and you say hello and you greet them, that's fine. But you don't have to hug anybody if you don't want to. You don't have to like, right? So like that messaging is so important too. Like we should have some autonomy to be able to choose what how we respect our own bodies. Because if we say it, but we don't practice it, there's really no way to for a young person to kind of learn that and, and ingrain it in their their own life. Um, and, and that really impacts young people as they grow older and start to realize like um, and normalize consent and normalize that asking piece um, and, and conversation. So I think that's really important. I also think that we need to, you know, raise awareness amongst like our parents too, because like, I think they are like the older generation that they are already socializing with this existing like value about gender roles and also like existing belief about sexual assault. So I think it's necessary to, you know, just have a conversation with them first so that we can change their mind. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, you know, both of what you said, um, like it is, we do need to raise more awareness and, and increase the education. And I think, you know, as far as what you brought up, Quinn, like, you know, whatever we can do to start challenging uh, power gender dynamics in gender relationships is, you know, we need to start doing that. Cause I think, you know, it could be something as simple as like, you know, trying to disrupt, you know, like whether like 
women are supposed to be cooking dinner or whether men are supposed to be, you know, the financial caretakers of the house or like those kinds of gender roles. Like we need to start disrupting them and, and start challenging them and say, you know, where does this come from? And does it create a power imbalance, you know? And I think, um, you know, in those kinds of ways, like those could be very small, simple conversations, but we need to do, we need to start doing a better job of having those conversations explicitly. Yeah. And I also think like, we should also like talk about like, what is like healthy masculinity are. And we so we we can also like, encourage like healthy masculinity and like reward our children each each time they have that healthy behavior so that they can you know grow up with it and then kind of embrace it as they grow older yeah yeah definitely and i think like we need to we need to also like do a better job of of transforming pop culture around this too right and i think you know as a as a society we are moving in that direction however slowly but you know it's not going to happen overnight and, and as we start getting access to like you know making tv shows and making movies and making you know whatever like like those kinds of things will will also impact the way that we see gender dynamics in our society so how about you jenny um like i want to see like your perspective as like health educator what do you think that like we should do Yeah, um, just kind of bringing it back to what I said before, well, agreeing with you all, of course, um, but what I said before is just education and and conversation. So like you said, Quinn, having conversation with our families, um, being vocal where we can, right, and, and challenging them in the moment of, like, for example, I just had um I have a new niece I love her to bits she's like five months old and um I'm already talking to my sister about like how are you going to have conversations with her about consent or right kind of like it's, it's exciting because as a as an educator we're also just to see this young new person and you can see kind of like as As she grows, you know, this world is, it's, it's harsh. So how do we do our best to prepare ourselves to change the culture, right? We don't have to prepare her to like, this world sucks, right? It's more like, how do we change the world before it get it gets hard for, for her? So um, that's the thing about culture, though, is that it changes, right? Like we can, we do, we do have the means to change and impact things, Um And so I think that makes me hopeful when you think about it that way. Um, but those those avenues need to change, whether it's education or dialogue at home, but also like Chris said, like what you're all saying, like collectively in, in all avenues, whether it's pop culture, it's music, we need to have more representation. We need to have healthy representation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, go, sorry, going off of your story, Jenny, there's one thing I wanted to talk about real quick um, because I've seen, I've already seen folks do this Um, who are my friends and although I, I am you know a little bit older um, but uh, you know if 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 you are you know um, if you have kids you know what I have noticed is um, we still uh, like there there's this propensity for for fathers um, to kind of uh, you know from jump from like birth of like fathers of daughters to like 
you know, start building walls around like their perceived sexuality and their perceived relationships. And I know that like, even in a joking manner, I've had friends or peers, you know, be like, oh, like, you know, she better not bring boys home or like, you know, she better know that like, you know, like I'm going to, I'm going to scare every boy that she brings home or whatever. And this is like when kids literally are newborns, like they just were born. And like, you know, men are already having that, that, that rhetoric. And, and it's like one, you know, heteronormativity, you know, let's get rid of that. But two, you know, if even in a joking manner, if you, if that's your rhetoric with your daughter, you know, and she, she embraces that, right. She embodies that and she like absorbs that then like, it's going to be very difficult as she grows older to come to you with honest, you know, questions about sex and relationships, you know? And I think like, if you've already created this adversarial relationship with her potential, you know, partners in the future, then if she is, you know, having issues with somebody, or if she has questions about like sexual assault or sexual behavior, or whether sexuality is a normal thing, she's not going to want to go to you with those questions. And you already have lost this opportunity to help your child, you know, learn more about their own sexuality and their own like, you know, um, autonomy by putting up even in a joking manner by putting up this kind of rhetoric. So I would say to like future fathers or current fathers, like don't joke about that stuff. Like that's not like funny, you know, like joke about other things, but don't joke about that, you know. Snaps to that. Like I just, that was, that, I, I really appreciate that because yes, that all of that is, hap- all that messaging, like all those expectations of like young people or babies before they're even born, right? Like we're already imposing all of these like, these like expectations or these like ideas or stereotypes. And so like, yeah, we need to think a little bit more critically um, before we start even joking around. Absolutely. It's really cool, Chris. Yeah. I also think like the way that our parents like send message about like um, femininity and masculinity that like, for example, if like there's two children in the house and like, like if the girl's doing something like like against like the socialization of like femininity and then the girl will get like I think will be mad at by the parent but if like the same thing goes boys so like I think there's can be a different way that you can teach a kid you know but yeah yeah, definitely. I think, you know, we we also have to get over this idea that, like, it's you, you have to shelter women, yeah. right, and protect them and whatever. Like, obviously, you have to protect all your children. But, like, you know, I remember mm-hmm. growing I remember growing up and, and like, you know, like, I grew, I grew up in a predominantly Asian American area, right? Like, my high school is, like, 70-plus percent Asian-Americans, right? So a lot of my peers were Asian-Americans and had similar backgrounds to what I had, right? Kids of immigrants and that kind of stuff. And I remember that, like, men and women were treated very, very differently, like, at that point, you know? And I remember, like, when I was, like, 16, 17, whatever, and we would hang out and stuff, like, the girls, by and large, had curfews. The girls, by and large, couldn't you know, stay out with boys, like they had to like, you know, lie about who they were going out with, or that we had to like sneak them out because, you know, like their parents wouldn't approve of them like being around like mixed gender, 
like like situations that kind of stuff and like not to say that we were intentionally like trying to do harm or anything but we just wanted to hang out with our friends you know and like and they just wanted to hang out they wanted to be normal girls you know they wanted to be normal teenagers and so they wanted to come out and they wanted to stay out late and they want we you know watch movies and like you know whatever and like you know we we had to like kind of balance these like weird like dynamics because like me and my male friends were allowed to like stay out however late we wanted and like you know didn't have any like kind of restrictions on who we could hang out with and that kind of stuff and then meanwhile like our female friends like we had to like like lie about who they were with and like not say anything when like their parents called and then like you know like be really careful about how we dropped them off so their parents didn't see that we were there and that kind of stuff you know and you know it's like we can't we can't we have to get over this idea that we have to like shelter women, yeah you know? i totally agree with you because like for me growing up in vietnam like my parents would not let me go out with friends if i don't like specifically like who i was and then like where the hell as and they also like they don't let me you know go out alone they always like hey i will pick you up hey i will pick you up from your friend i can drop you up to this and that but like with my brother i think things are very different like he can go out whenever he wanted to and like he don't have to curfew so i can totally see the difference in my experience so i think that like also our parents need to trust like girl because like i think that like with the education we have we are you know old enough to make our own decision and be responsible for all the decisions that you have so yeah absolutely it's a lot of that reframing and unlearning um some of those messaging so i definitely agree with that what are some action items i guess or or links or what do you want folks to walk away with um i think that i want folks to walk away with that uh we need to practice more of like healthy masculinity and also be mindful like be mindful of like your partner when you want to ask for consent like regardless of like any ethnic background because i think it's applied to like everyone that hey you should respect a woman and asking her for consent like before you want to do anything Jenny, do you have do you have resources or stuff that you would point folks towards? Yeah, actually. Um, well, one is that if anyone that's listening is experiencing um, any type of violence, um, please reach out. You do have many resources, whether that's San Jose State or in the community. Um, the YWCA is a really great resource. They're not really far from campus, just about three blocks. Um, there's also the um, Asian Women's Home. Um, so they are a place um, for survivors, a shelter for survivors. Um, and you definitely do not have to be a PETA identified to um, go there. Um, and there are I know that also right now during the shelter in place at home may not be safe for everybody. So um, there are resources if you go to um, the Genek Instagram, which is SJSU Genek, that's G-E-N-E-C. You'll see that we just posted resources, um, the national hotlines for domestic uh, domestic violence and sexual assault. There's also um, different helplines also for trans folks, um, for parents and um, let's see, 
um, for there's also a deaf hotline as well. So there's a lot of resources out there during this time, um, particular to the shelter in place that might make it difficult, but just knowing that there are resources available. And if you know somebody that might need it, um, feel free to visit our website um, at SJSU Gen Ec and look for the tab for Sexual Assault Awareness Month. Um, and you'll see at the bottom that there are additional resources that you can click through. Um, and that's kind of a little bit about resources. Um, just know that, yeah, help a friend, help someone you know, check in on them. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Um, so unless we have anything else to add, um, I think we're just wrapping up. So um, thank you, Quinn. Thank you, Jenny, for um, our discussion today on uh, sexual assault, Asian American masculinity, and uh, uh, all things that uh, we need to know and understand about power dynamics. So thank you so thank much. Thank you so much for having thank me you. here today, too. Yeah, definitely. So um, that was uh, another episode of the Men Creating Change podcast. Um, everyone take care of yourselves, um, stay healthy, and um, we will talk to you later.